0: Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold and this is Faith Radio. Thank you for uh, tuning in today. I am glad that you did because I've got an awesome, awesome guest planned for this hour and it's my friend Jay Warner Wallace. And if you know anything about him, you know he's an amazing mind and he loves God's Word and he is a tremendously uh, powerful thinker and I love good thinking. And I can always count on him to bring a perspective that uh, brings an illumination to my mind when it comes to God's Word and many things that go on in the in the culture and all kinds of stuff. So he's a uh, author that's written many books, and he's a, a much-in-demand national speaker all around the world, and he's uh, got quite a resume, but uh, I'll tell you more about that later. For now, I just want to get him on. Hey, Jim.
1: Wow, you know, you're making it hard to... Like. I'm not sure I can like <laughs> rise up to the level of your of your enthusiasm about having me on, but I'm just glad. It's amazing that a month went by since the last time and, we talked. Yeah,
0: and summer goes so fast, and so here we are. Maybe, yeah, maybe later. that's
1: it. It yeah. is perhaps that it's summer, and, it's, and it goes by so quick. But yeah. uh, it's kind of scary for me, I think, at this point in my life to think that I'm losing a month that fast. I'd like to slow it down a little bit.
0: Yeah, I would. I would, too. So yeah, I have sure. all kinds of questions for you today, and I know uh, oh, you're equipped to handle anything. So you are a, a, not only a deep thinker, but you're a historian. You love understanding um, uh, history. And, and I also think, too, that if you were in a room of theologians, and let's say there's 10 of them in the room, how many do you think would agree with each other?
1: Oh, golly. I mean, I would hope if they if they identified themselves as Christian theologians, I would hope that they would agree on the essentials, right? This is like why we look at creeds in general. There's a lot of folks, I think, that are uh, hesitant to... Um, to think about uh, their faith system in a form of creeds, as if to say, well, look, if it's not in Scripture, they want to make sure that what they believe is just really derived purely and solely from Scripture. And so these creeds seem like there might be this exterior, but but really, if you think about it, the creeds are just our efforts to figure out, like, what is it we ought to agree about? Because we're going to get in a room together and disagree about a lot of stuff that is Um, uh, really uh, um, not clearly articulated in Scripture. That's really what, if you think about it, what we typically disagree about is stuff where either there's not a lot written about it in Scripture, or there is a lot written about it, but there seems to be a lot written about it from both sides, where maybe you can make a case for this and a case for that using the Scripture. And And I think that what God does is He makes... Um, ideas clear, and, and the things that we need to know are made clear in scripture, and the things that we don 't really need to dwell on or to, to you know to have with such a level of certainty or perhaps are just beyond our ability to understand them anyway, like for example, one of the things that so much we always disagree on is the relationship between god 's sovereignty and our free agency mm-hmm. well you know there's a, that 's a really hard uh, notion to even think about to begin with. Um so, so I think that's one of those areas that maybe when we get in front of God and we are, 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 our minds are opened to the things of God, we might have the capacity to understand some of these things, but some of these things really are the stuff that we've been arguing about for centuries, uh, because to be honest, it's really in many ways beyond our comprehension.
0: Mm-hmm. When you uh, have discussions with uh, theologians and, and other authors and, and peers, do you... What is what is the topic of conversation you find yourself most often going to?
1: Well, I I hate to say it, but um it's probably not today, at least in 2022. It's probably not going to be um I'd love it to be systematic theology, right? Yeah. Because that was my favorite my favorite classes in seminary for the systematic theology classes in those places where because I love to think about the things in overarching templates or patterns or um you know, in in systems. Uh, And so I love the idea that we could get the truth of God, and wouldn't it be great if we could make it so easy that we could create these human systems that could, uh, but of course we're we're only, we're doing this in in almost a futile attempt to understand the mind of God. But I think it's still an important uh, enterprise. I think it's important for us to make the effort. But I don't think that's where probably a lot of, at least the folks that I'm hanging out with, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time talking about the history of the debate, for example, between um, you know God's sovereignty and mm-hmm. and our free agency. A lot of what we're talking about now is wow, look what's happening in culture, and um, you know, isn't it, it really in some ways we're we're just still processing how we got here, you know, what's changed about the nature of culture and even technology and communication and all of that that has allowed us to abandon uh, so much of what we once as a culture took for granted. And so I think a lot of the discussions I'm having with my, my you know colleagues and friends is, is you know what do, we, what do we do now that we find ourselves in this position where so much of the um, claims of Christianity that might have been part of the culture, might have been part of the substructure of how we think about things in the West is now under attack and is being so quickly discarded. So that things that we think at one point were were, we're no longer, we're, we're not even something we debate, are now up for discussion. You know, even the, the nature of truth, the nature of how we identify ourselves. These are the things that I think that a lot of us are, and, and we're also, I think, seeing in the church that, that a large segment of the church, is, I say Church of the Big C, yeah. is, is bending their knee, is kind of abandoning the, the claims of Scripture and, and kind of altering the claims of Scripture to accommodate the pressure we see in the culture. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about now is how do we, how do we uh, help um, Christians see that the difference, to see the shifting sands of of kind of progressive Christianity. I don't mean that in a, liberal, in a uh, political way, but I mean this idea that we're abandoning uh, classic traditional notions of. of I'm not get too wordy here, but like penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, what is what did Jesus come to do? What does God say about sexuality? What does God say about marriage? What does God say about the roles of men and women? Uh, those kinds of things that um, you know we we're moving. The church is beginning to move away from the teaching of Scripture, and so that's a lot of what we're talking about. I think you know if we're having dinner and and just talking about life and about theology, a lot of it's going to be about that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Jim, could you uh, you know when you talk about uh, penal substitutionary atonement, is that if I was in a um, at a dinner party with you and I said, what is that? and you you only had two minutes to do it, or three minutes, what would you say?
1: Well, it's that all uh, sin, the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death, and all of us sin. No one chases after God. All of us are, have that sin nature, and that's what separates us from a morally perfect God. God has the power to eliminate moral imperfection. Mm-hmm. Well, And we are not morally imperfect, and that we're separated from God for that reason. And we deserve um, the death that Christ actually suffered on the cross. He paid the price for our sin, although he was sinless. So his death on the cross, we are basically being substituted. He he stands in our our place and takes the punishment that we deserve so that then if we simply embrace what he's done for us on the cross, we can stand in front of God and he will see us the way he would see his sinless son, Mm. because we've already paid the cost of our sin because we've let Jesus do it for us. So Jesus didn't come to live a moral life as an example for the rest of us to look at and say, yeah, we should be more like Jesus. Instead, he came to pay a price we can't pay so that we could stand beho- before a holy God. And that's what that, you know, that it's a cost. It's, it's the punishment we deserve, the penal cost of what we deserve is paid by Jesus on the cross in our stead.
0: And Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. And Jim, I'm, I want to ask, is that, Exchange a personal one.
1: Well, it has to be. Uh, in other words, if it was a, if it wasn't a personal one, I could do it once and say, "Hey, of my family too." <laughs> but it turns out that every member of my family has to make that choice as well, because mm-hmm. it's I. It, I don't even I can't I cannot um, negotiate the sins of my kids or the sins of my my relatives. They must stand before a holy God and account for who they are. And the problem, of course, is that that we have to at least be honest. I mean, this is one of the things that starts to get slippery when we start to have definitions of goodness that are entirely subjective, right? So if we don't have an objective transcendent standard, well, then a lot of us can say, well, I'm good enough. And and under my standards, I'm good. I'm certainly not as bad as that guy. And if that's how goodness is established, then we can all find a way to kind of – but if we're really honest about who we are, to be honest, we we actually violate our own standards. I mean, you might say, "Hey, it's not good to, to lie to your to, to people you care about," but we've all kind of caught ourselves doing that. It's not good to think about people in a sexual way that we're not even related to in any way. We're not married to these people. These are just but we all do that. Whatever it is you think your standards you've created for yourself, I'll bet you you violated it. So we can't even consistently hold up to our own standards let alone a morally perfect god so i think there's there's the i think as we kind of start to reinterpret truth as being whatever we want it to be it is easier i think to ignore uh, objective claims about righteousness that are you know any theistic system in christianity included would claim right so i think that this is a generation where we have to spend some time talking about the nature of truth even moral truth are there objective moral truth claims? Because if there are, that leads you to a place where at least you have to recognize that you probably violate a bunch of those, and that's why you need a Savior, mm-hmm. because you cannot save yourself.
0: Yeah, so good. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue uh, talking about uh, theology, which is m- one of my very favorite topics. And Jim is uh, a cold case uh, homicide detective in Los Angeles, and he is retired now from that role, but he has used his... Mastermind to uh, process scripture and do it with the background that he has been gifted with from the Lord. He is the author of many books. ColdCaseChristianity.com is his website. I highly recommend you go there because he has an amazing number of uh, great videos and articles you can read and enjoy. And it's ColdCaseChristianity.com. We'll be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. He's a guest that occur, that is willing to come on the show monthly, and I love that about Jim, and I love his mind and the way he thinks. Coldcasechristianity.com is his website. I highly recommend you go there. There's lots to gain from being at his website. Lots of videos and, and articles and blogs, and uh, all of his books are listed there as well. So, Jim, I hate to bring you back to Theology or Christianity 101, but l- if you don't mind, let's talk about the beginnings of a a journey that a person would have in in their faith life. What would you say to somebody that says, well, how did you become a Christian or how can I become a Christian?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot you can say about it. Um, first of all, is it, is it important to somebody to know what's true? I mean, and for a lot of people, they haven't really thought much about that, right? And and so I always wanted to know what is true. I'm a, I'm a naturally curious person. And, and so so if, if, if there's something true about the nature of the world, that, that those are things that are, are worldview issues, right? I mean, worldviews answer three questions. How do we get here? Why is it so messed up, and how do we fix it? And almost well, everyone has a view of the world that kind of shapes the way they answer those three questions. And and so a lot of it is, like, how's that working for you? I mean, do you, do you, however you think you got here and do you think is messed up, what is do you think the solution for this? Now, Christianity offers an answer. Every worldview offers an answer to those three questions. I mean Marxism, offered, capitalism, every ism offers an answer to those three questions. And I think those are questions that still our are, are people are interested in. Let me tell you what I think is really happening. I, I think that we are now in a place where the two things Billy Graham used to say it this way that that whenever he would go and preach the gospel, everywhere he would go, he could assume certain things were true about the people group he was talking to, even if he'd never been there before that 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 they would that they would say that there's a, a deep loneliness, that there is a deep uh, a sense that money and possessions can't make you happy. Um, These are kind of common features of the world that that he would say, no matter where I go, I can speak to those issues, uh, and and, and people will resonate with those issues. I think that that's true still today, and I think some of the issues we are resonating with are issues of identity and of meaning, like who am I really? I mean, we are in an identity culture that is all about identity politics and gender identity and how you identify with your pronouns and your bio and your social media thing is the first thing you see. It's like, who am I? And all of us are, are struggling to figure out who we are. And and how do you ground identity? I mean, this is something that I think ought to be of importance to everyone. Because it turns out if you ground your identity in things that are, are, are temporary, you will have a temporary identity. If you ground your identity, for example, in your achievements, there's always somebody who does a better job than you. So you'll never be the person who's the best in that area. If you ground your identity in your interests. well, your interests will change. Even your preferences, even if it's your sexual preference, those things change over time. And wouldn't it be nice if there was some transcendent, objective grounding for your identity that no matter what happens to you in your life, you won't lose it. You won't feel like it's not enough. You won't feel like I, I'm a was. If you put it in your job, trust me, you will retire someday. You won't be that thing. Mm-hmm. And if you put it in your marriage and something goes wrong with your marriage, you won't be that. But if you are created in the image of a holy God and your identity is grounded in that, you will never lose that. And so I think a lot of this is about, well, why should you search for meaning and and is there a God? Because it turns out that your identity and the purpose of life are so connected to whether or not you are created in the image of a holy God that you at least ought to like check that box first. You at least ought to see if that's true first. By the way, you know it, we talk about like um, people who suffer through trauma. Uh, the people who do the best uh, managing trauma and actually on the backside um, growing through a trauma are people who can make some meaning or some sense mm. of the experience they just. There's a whole field of study called meaning-making, which is about trying to you know, establish a process by which people can make sense or derive meaning from their trauma, from their suffering. And those people don't just get back to where they started before the trauma. That's just called resiliency. They actually grow at a higher level. They actually are more on the backside of trauma because they're able to make some meaning from it. Well, it turns out that's why Christians who actually are devout in their belief that there is a God and that we are eternal creatures that transcend the grave and that everything that occurs to us is occurs to us for some purpose that God is going to leverage that thing that humans meant for evil and he will use it for good. If that's true, that really helps you make meaning of even things in your life that seem traumatic. And I would like to know, by the way, I can only leverage that if in fact Christianity is true, if in fact there is a God. Who, who who could actually make something good out of something that's meant for evil. So I would want to know, at least, does that God exist? Now, this is all very selfish reasons to look to see if there's a God. Forget about the fact that I, at some point, when I was reading through the Scriptures, I recognized that I was in need of a Savior, because I realized that that Romans road you know, that we always talk about, that, that, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that was true. It is true. It's true for all of us. So there's a very real need we have. But even for just selfish reasons, I want to know, who am I really, and, and what is this all about? Why, is this, why are we here, and what's the purpose of all this? And it turns out the Christian worldview, I think, provides the most satisfying responses to those questions.
0: Hmm. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Jim, let me ask you this. Do you, uh, do you have eternal life, and is it a present possession for you right now?
1: What, well, yes, and this is the one thing it could never be if your um salvation was is dependent upon some set of behaviors or some set of, of tasks or some set of achievements or some set of rule following because because then you have to measure Well, did, did, I, did I accomplish enough? Did I do enough? And you'd never really know that until you got in front of a holy God who would say, yep, it looks like you're, you, you did good enough. You know, like you're taking this test called life, but we don't know what the score is until mm-hmm. we get in front of the master teacher. If that's how we earn our salvation, if it's earned this way. And by the way, there are lots of folks that you know right now who probably look more christ-like than you do like for example most of my mormon neighbors do a better job <laughs> of, of living out the gospel and mm-hmm. and 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 and, 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 exa- and giving an example of the nature of jesus than i do but but that shouldn't surprise you if if people whose de- whose salvation is dependent upon performance will always outperform you sure because their salvation is dependent on it but here's the difference is that when I ask those, I've never asked that question of a Muslim or of a Mormon, where I ask, well, do you think if you died today, would you have the highest, I always put it this way, the highest gift that God could give you in the next life. Because if you just wow. say heaven, that's different for Mormons. That word heaven's been kind of uh, changed mm-hmm. under Mormonism. For them, it's being exalted as a God in the celestial kingdom. Well, if you don't want to ask it that way. Just say, if you died right now, would God bestow upon you the highest thing he could bestow upon you? Uh, everyone will say, well, I hope so. You're right. Because they can't answer that. But if you are a Christian, you know that you it's nothing you did. It's everything that Jesus did. And the minute you accept him as Savior, you, you get his passage, his ticket. You, you can't earn your own. So you could say right now that I know I'm saved. I know I'll be in front because I, I know I've, I'm trusting Jesus for this. And you can know that right now. So, so yes, there's a difference. There's Under Christianity, there's a, I can know now versus under other systems that are work-based where you, you, most people would say, well, I, I hope so, or I think so, or I'm sure trying, mm-hmm. but they don't know yet because they're still taking the test called life. Under Christianity, you've already taken the test. You passed. You Jesus took the test for you. You trust Jesus. You're good to go. Now, the only problem with that, of course, is that we have a tendency to be so lazy that we have this cheap grace that we take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And this is why sometimes you will see that Christians because we're not we don't we, we, we know that being legalistic about following the rules is not going to save us that we have a tendency to think the rules don't matter but of course you know when I when I see my friends who are trying to or, or Mormons who are trying to earn their way they are doing the good deeds because they think this is what God has required of them so they can be exalted into celestial kingdom mm-hmm. whereas when you and I are doing those things it's because we are are responding to the grace that's been offered. In other words, we've been given such an amazing gift that we want to celebrate it by giving a gift to others. So it's we're responding out of the joy of our salvation, and it results, hopefully, in good works, rather than we are trying with our good works to earn the thing we call salvation.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Jim Wallace is my guest. Jim, John 1010, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So when we talk about uh, everlasting life, and you've expressed to me that it's a present possession, did I understand that correctly, that you possess it right now, and it animates how you live your life today.
1: Yeah, it's not just that we are offered eternal life. We are, but we're offered a life that's abundant. So it's it's not just a uh, yeah someday it's gonna it's gonna be you, no you could actually embrace this kingdom life now mm-hmm. and live it in a way right now because it ought to open up and, uh, a way of living that is unavailable to you otherwise uh, and this is it's a spirit filled life we always say look I, if you do like if you have, work on marriages with people who are struggling in their marriage I could definitely give you a series of tools that'll make your marriage better. But that's going to require you to get on that bike and ride it hard every day. <laughs> but if you will mm-hmm. surrender your life to Christ, the bike's already moving. It's the spirit-filled life. It's mm-hmm. not just that you are on your own trying to employ these tools, these marriage tricks, you know, that will make your marriage better. It's that, no, that God is now with you, and, 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 and he's calling you to live a certain way. And, and then it's a very – you have power in these acts. It's not just all your own effort. You know, it's not just you climbing the mountain together. It's that God is pulling you up the mountain. Um, And and that's part of that. That's the difference. And if you do like marriage counseling, that's not based on um, any kind of Christian worldview or based on um, what God is doing in your life. That's a much that's just a set of tricks, a set of tools that Mm -hmm. you have to work hard to employ as opposed to a spirit filled transformation. Yeah. We'll
0: talk more about that after the break. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest, and you can learn more about him at coldcasechristianity.com, and I encourage you to do that. We'll take a short break and be right back. show, if you just joined me, my guest is Jay Warner Wallace. You can learn more about him at coldcasechristianity.com. He is a Dateline featured cold case homicide detective and he's a very popular national speaker and best-selling author. Always glad to have Jim on the show. And Jim, do you mind if I ask you a police question before I get back to my other questions? Yes, of course. Yeah, I figure you have interest in this story. Um, This uh, teacher that was abducted in in Memphis and, uh, yeah. yeah, it was very sad. My question is, is there a segment of of society that will never adapt to the rules of a civilized society. Will they ever change in their lifetimes? Will there ever be that kind of uh, place where we go? We have hope for these people now. As a Christian, I have hope for everybody. But in law enforcement, what would be your your thought?
1: Well, well, okay. So, so what we're we're trying to do is with whatever system you put in place to uh, either govern or manage or facilitate a culture. It has to take human nature and truly understand human nature and take it into account. This is why a, a governmental system that has a series of checks and balances, because we know the fallen nature of humans, even humans who lead you, that's probably a wise uh, kind of a, a, a safeguard to put in place, right? Because if you understand how people are, so no, there's never going to be a time. The only – when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, and we are in heaven with God, uh, that, that that'll be the time when you'll – all of our evil will be uh, completely um, restrained and completely eliminated from our nature. We'll have the freedom to act in heaven, but we'll have a new nature. Uh, Freedom, as I interpret it, is the freedom to do whatever it is you want to do. Not whatever it is that could be done, because mm-hmm. I, have, I, don't, I, I could easily walk in and order fish for, at the restaurant, but I'll never do it because I don't like to eat fish. So that's <laughs> just not my thing. I mean, I have the freedom to do it, but really it's the freedom to order what I want. And it turns out when, when I, my nature has been changed, I will no longer want to do evil. I will have the freedom to do whatever I want. I won't want to do evil. So there will be a time coming when when we will act differently right but right now we are in it's worse than you even think because it turns out it's not just the people that we get caught for murders it's our cold cases as you know those are cases where somebody did a murder 30 years ago and for the next 30 years they're the deacon at your church they're your your local chief fire chief they're mm-hmm. they're the people who live next door to you and they've lived a exemplary life for the next 30 years but they did kill somebody 30 years ago because that's our nature. Every one of us has the capacity to do that terrible thing and then live as though we didn't. And, and that is very much possible for each and every one of us. So, so I'm never surprised that when I see these – so yeah, to, to think that some, at some point, it's not, it's not just that there's a small fraction of us who are fallen enough to do evil. Is that actually all of us are fallen enough to do evil, but not everyone. Now, what does seem to help is if you've got something in place, either a worldview or a set of personal beliefs that restrains evil. So as we move forward and think we're evolving away from these simplistic, primitive, theistic thoughts, well, we're actually moving away from the worldviews that restrained evil. And you can argue that, that yeah, a lot of evil has been done by religious people, and that's true because, because re- people will st- even corrupt good things, because that's just the nature of who we are. So, yes, you can corrupt that restraining um, worldview and, and leverage it to do whatever you want, but it turns out for the vast, vast, vast majority of people who have embraced the Christian worldview, it has been an incredible restraining force in the history of humans that have kept people from acting on their impulses. Um, And and if if you take those kinds of systems out of our culture, you'll just have the impulses. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Jake Warner Wallace is my guest. His latest book is called Person of Interest, Why Jesus Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. And there's lots of rejection of the Bible nowadays. And any book that Jim writes, if I don't get a promotional copy sent to the station, I go out and I buy it. So that's how I feel about him and his writing. So, um... Jim, let me ask you this. Why do you think people have so many doubts about the joy of their salvation that they feel that, hmm, am I really, am I really saved? I'd love for you to talk about assurance of salvation.
1: Yeah, this is, this is a tough one. Uh, I think it's that Romans 7 passage with Paul saying that, you know, there's stuff that I know I shouldn't do that I I keep on doing. And there's stuff that I know I should do that I, I fail to do. Paul said that, okay? Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who most people would look at, you know, St. Paul, okay? This is, this is Paul who said that, because it turns out that to, to I, I'm, not, I'm not free of the struggle, and, and if you're really honest, you aren't, none of us are. We get saved, and we know that our salvation is now, thank God it's secured, because even as a saved Christian, you you know what your thought life is, you, you know who you really are at your core. You know, Paul. How many years in to having seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, writes um, to the you know writes the book of Romans and 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 admits that he himself still struggles with. We all do this. I'm not somebody who believes that that as soon as you get saved, you are now you can reach perfection, moral perfection on this side of the grave. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to happen. And, and as a matter of fact, it's going to be even more of a struggle because before you were saved and you didn't care about your sin, you actually kind of relished in it or you didn't think about it as anything bad. You just kind of lived your life and, well like, who cares? I, that's okay for me to think those things, to have those. But there's no struggle. Well, now the Spirit is in you, and you are constantly struggling between the the, the law of your flesh and, and the Spirit of God. And, and it, suddenly I'm painfully aware of every shortcoming – that before, I either celebrated or ignored. Uh, but because now the Spirit of God resides in me, I'm, I'm just I'm constantly disappointed with my own failing, my own shortcoming. And I think that's one of the first things you'll see that is an indicator that you are now in a different position than you were before. Because honestly, those are things before that I just, you know, those thoughts were things, I just think this way, it doesn't matter. I never felt bad about those things. Now I'm constantly feeling like, what well, you know, what, why can't I... We're going to be constantly wrestling with our fallen human nature, and are we willing on a daily basis to surrender to God's Spirit that resides in us? And that surrender is hard, and it takes—you know—it's not you never perfect it until your nature is changed by God in in the next life. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but but we are. But so you see the struggle even in people, the men of God, the, the the men and women of God who are the you know. Um, I mean do you think Mother Teresa didn't have struggles in her own character that she was painfully aware of? We kind of learn toward the end about her own um, senses of doubt and, and of, of um, concern. And, and, you know, it's kind of shocking if you read in the last couple of months of her life about the things that she would admit that, you know, even she struggled with. Um, so I think that that's the kind of thing that is uh, important for us to realize that, yeah, I can have assurance Yet still struggle. As a matter of fact, the struggle in some way is a is a sign of the assurance because I never struggled before. I never saw it as <laughs> I never saw it as a problem before. Mm-hmm. And now it's because I know that something's changed. The spirit of God is now in me, and now suddenly I'm 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 painfully aware of my uh, my shortcomings. Mm-hmm.
0: Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Um, so let's go back to uh, John the Baptist in Matthew eleven, where where he said, "Would you just uh, ask, are you the one, or should we expect someone else?" Was that a doubt, or was that something uh, more than a doubt?
1: Well, I think, it, I think it was. I think that that is, I mean, people will try to read that, you know, read that passage and argue that, you know, he never had a doubt on this, but it, it sure feels like Jesus received it as a doubt, because it's John's uh, disciples that come to Jesus, and they ask him, John sent us, and he wants to know, are, are you the one? Now, whatever you could argue that, oh, well, he maybe didn't have a doubt, and this way he had the doubt, but, but Jesus responds to them by providing evidence. He says, mm-hmm. tell John, you just saw that the, the blind have been healed, and I and did these miracles in front of you. Go tell John what you just saw. Well, to offer that response means that Jesus is receiving it as though, as though John the Baptist needs reassurance. Now, that's a big, uh, I think a big, very gracious response on the part of Jesus, because he could have easily have said, uh, "Really, really, my cousin, my cousin who who leapt in the womb when our mothers really that dude's the guy who baptized me, who saw the spirit of God descend on me. This is the guy now, who's, who, the guy who sent his disciples to me, telling them that I was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This guy now, you're telling me he's got doubts? Yeah." Just tell him to suck it up. <laughs> you know, he should know better. Uh, no, he doesn't do that. he doesn't even like he still says right afterwards that this is the the, the, the of all men born of women, this is the most noble mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't like uh, you, you know uh, ridicule John for his doubts, uh, but it's clear that John and probably because he's john's in custody you know john's john is is making a claim uh, that it was about to get him executed. Um you know, he basically, I think mostly because he was complaining that <laughs> the, the sexual behavior of, you know, the the man who's about to execute him. Uh, that's what got him in trouble the most. But but seriously, he's suffering now. I mean, he's he's in a place right now where he's going to have to pay the price for his stand for righteousness. And I think he it, but, but most of us, if we were in that place, we might begin to wonder, well, why is this happening to me? I'm I'm actually taking a stand for what's right. And this is happening to me. So I'm not sure what caused him to send those followers, but it does seem from the response that Jesus gave him that, that Jesus thought he needed encouragement or needed to have his faith uh, reassured, and he provided the evidence. By the way, that's a very evidential response, isn't it? It is. To say, well, hey, here's some evidence of my deity, here's some evidence of, of my power that ought to help John realize that I am the one. And that's a very evidential approach, because he could have said, hey, this is, he could have taken a very different approach, Just, just have faith. And your faith will prove that you are saved. Or he could have said a number of things. Instead, he just does the miracles. He tells his disciples, go back and tell John what's happening here. And, and he'll that should encourage him.
0: Mm-hmm. Jim, I just got a nice text from Julie. She said, uh, FYI, J. Warner Wallace is one of my favorite guests you have
1: on. That nice? Oh, well, that's very... Yeah, it happens very, all the time. I don't know what, and I can tell you I don't know why <laughs> because <laughs> the reality of it is is that you've got lots there's lots of folks who have studied and, and they're PhD philosophers right. and theologians who but I think what we all of us as believers, just regular folks like you and I, all of us who are listening to this radio show, we have an obligation like if I if if I asked you to give me the five reasons why the Vikings are going to beat you know the the Packers, you you could probably do this in really quick order. <laughs> Even though you have to know a lot about the last off season and right. the coaches and all that stuff, mm-hmm. we need to be that facile with these kinds of issues when it comes to God. Okay? Yeah. Can we make these accessible quickly for people who have questions?
0: Yeah. Tell me what goes on inside your mind and heart when you. I know you probably never give up hope, but you've had decades of. Loving family, uh, letting them know what you believe, sharing the gospel, and there's still constant pushback after decades. Um, how do you How do you find yourself um, moving forward in this situation? Do you just say I'll continue to love them and pray for them or uh, what goes through your mind?
1: Well, I think this is where theology can help, right? I mean, this is one of those things where you talk about the sovereignty of God versus our free agency. And and if it if I felt like um, it was all on me, I think I'd be very anxious. As mm-hmm. been said that, you know, if you take the past and pull it into the present, you suffer from depression. If you take the future and pull it into the present, you suffer from anxiety. And, well, and I think that, so if I'm looking at the future of what's going to happen to my relatives and think that this is all my response, I am going to be anxious. But But if you believe the future is in the hands of God, well, then I can let go of it. And and so some, for some of this is I, I just – I need to, to to live my life in front of those folks as though God's already done the work. God's already got this. And that, that way you would live differently if you knew the end from the beginning. And the end is that however it turns out, it's because God has got a greater future than you can imagine. And the role that I play in that future and all my loved ones, I don't understand how it's all linked together. I don't understand what has to happen in order for the greatest possible future outcome to be realized. So I have to trust that if there's a God who knows that that the greatest possible future outcome is going to be realized, then whatever dominoes fall between now and then, I have to trust that those are the right dominoes. And so really this is why I think that theology does matter, right? If God's in control of this in control of the future... Then I, I, this is look. I can say all this, but you know as well as I do that this is really hard to live because these people matter to you. And although you can have this idea in your head, theological or philosophical idea in your head, good luck trying to to live it. You know, um, faithfully. I'm still going to be anxious. I still struggle with anxiety. I still I still worry. Am I doing enough here? To, uh, how am I going to get all this done? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. all of us worry about the stresses in our life. Mm-hmm. But this is where you have to stop and say, Hey, it's not about what more do I need to do. It's about am I trusting God to do the rest? And that's a an entirely different approach. And it, so a lot of this time, I just I just have to let go. Of it I, okay. Look, I love my dad. Is, is he saved? I don't. I've done everything I can do. I have to trust now that God's got a good purpose in this. And that even if in the end he's not saved, that God is achieving a greater good, and that I'm going to agree wow. when I see the the end, I'm going to go, yeah, he was right. Wow, wow! And I and I have to trust the goodness of God. Yeah,
0: thank you for saying that so lovingly and boldly. I appreciate that. It's uh, it's comforting for me to hear that.
1: Well, and I think a lot of times we think, well, we have to trust that God is going to, in the end, make it as we want it to go. Right. But I'm saying that we have to trust that however God decides to to to, to make it in the end, that we are going to look at that and say, good, good call. Yeah. That yeah, was a good call.
0: Yeah. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Jim, I got a question that came in, and I'll I'll give you the question, then we'll go to break, then we'll come back and we'll hear from you. The question is, can Jim use his knowledge to, to support the claim that Jesus will come back? That's the question. We'll take a short break and be back with Jerry Warner-Waltz in just a minute. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. And if I had a working title for this segment, I would say coffee with a friend, which I appreciate Jim Wallace and his teaching so much. Jim, I don't know if you had a chance to think about that question that was asked right before the break. Um, can you uh, support the claim that Jesus will come back?
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's what I would say. I, I think that, that there were lots of folks uh, who heard a claim that Jesus would come back and, and, Either didn't understand the claim, or thought that's not that's not possible. But it turns out that he demonstrated that he could do it, and those are all the people who who he told that he would go to the cross and he would he would have to sacrifice his – I mean, he told his disciples this. If you look through the Gospels, you'll see several places where it's like, what? They don't seem to be like getting it. But maybe this is because they just didn't didn't want to receive it. And then sure enough, he, he rises from the grave and shows everyone that he did exactly. He came back. He, you know, he's not dead. He's not gone. He came back three days later. Now, what's interesting about that, if you've got good reason to believe that that is true, that he actually came back from the grave, but then really you have good reason to believe that he can do what he says he will do. And that's really all I need. I just need to know that Jesus can do what he says he can do. And he has already done it once. So why what what what's the evidence he wouldn't do it again? So I guess the bigger question is, why would you think he wouldn't do it again when he's already done it once? He told you he'd do it once. He did it once. He made he was good on his word once. Why won't he be good a second time? And, and of course, he will. So I think the resurrection, I've always said the resurrection is the most important piece of evidence in the Christian worldview, right? Because the resurrection is true. Um, you know, that changes everything. If the resurrection um, isn't true, then we should get out of the system altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, that honestly, uh, the resurrection, that piece of evidence, that, that is the, that is the, the, that's the one piece of evidence that, that ought to answer that other question. Do we think he's coming back? Well, we already know he can come back. He's already done it once. If that's true, he can do it again.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's the hope that's in every believer's heart, is that we are uh, anticipating his return, and we're doing it with great excitement and anticipation.
1: Right, and we have good reason to believe that's true because of all the explanations for the resurrection that people have offered throughout history. Many of which are not even Christian explanations; are the secular explanations. You know, somebody lied about it, or they were deceived about it, or they were mistaken about it. Well, all of that stuff you can look through all that evidence. There's no, there's no reason. The best explanation is still the Christian explanation. It explains all of history. It explains the transformation of the, of the disciples. It explains the impact that Jesus has had across all the nations. Um, it explains everything. Um, so for me, I still tr- I still trust that what is true is true because he's already demonstrated it once. Mm-hmm.
0: Jim, we have about six minutes left or so, and I would love to get your take on the woke culture and how mm-hmm. Christians should be responding to uh, the woke culture. I had Dr. Erwin Lutzer on the show yesterday. I don't know if you know him.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's
0: awesome. He's amazing, and he was talking about um, a speech that Stalin gave And everybody stood and clapped for 11 minutes straight. And then finally, a guy who owned a paper mill sat down, and then everyone else sat down. And later that night, he was arrested and put in prison for 10 years. And they said to him, uh, never stop clapping.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you that I, I think that our response as Christians is pretty is it's really simple if you think about it. Our response um, we we are Christ followers. Mm-hmm. We are Christians, you know, little little Chris, little Christ. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. the idea here is that if, if we're looking for a response on any issue, if it's justice, if I don't care what it is, whatever the issue is, our response is going to be the response we learn from Jesus. So it's going to be something we're going to find on the pages of of Scripture. So whatever position you're going to take on any issue uh it's going to have to be one that you get from the pages of scripture because that's that's our authority and so it's not like i have to think well is this? like i, I got to reason through the claims of culture on this issue well no you don't you need to compare them to what is taught in scripture but you're a christian now if you're not a christian that's different then you gotta kind of weigh every claim that's being made in a woke culture on its own merits, philosophically, and you have no basis by which to compare it to anything, really. You just kind of weigh it on its own. But if you're a Christian, that's different. Well, now you actually have a, a standard by which you can return to the words of Jesus, mm-hmm. to these claims of culture, whatever they are. And by the way, some of the claims of culture are you can find support from them in and, and, and the words of Jesus. But 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 don't. But remember, every every good lie starts with a piece of the truth. Right? I mean, this is what happens when you do interviews with suspects, right? And the best lies are lies that are 70% true, but the 30% they're going to lie about is really the big deal, right? Mm-hmm. But they're 70% true, but the 30% ruins it all. And so what people will do is they'll show how Jesus will agree to 70% of it, but that last 30 that's where they, they form the lie. So we have to make sure that we understand the Word of God well enough that we know all 100% of the Word of God. The the sad truth is that most people only know about 30% of what Jesus said on any, if that, on any particular issue. So they don't know where the teaching of Jesus ends and the distortion begins because they don't know the full teaching of Jesus. So that's, I think, one of the things we have to help ourselves, if nothing else. Look, if you're going to just walk away from Christianity, at least walk away because you know everything it teaches. Don't walk away because you don't really understand anything about what Jesus said on a number of issues, right? Mm-hmm. People will say, well, I'm not sure I like Jesus. Well, you don't know Jesus then. right? You know, and a lot of people will tell you they know Jesus. They know of him. You know, I, I know uh, you know Harrison Ford from his movies, but I don't <laughs> really know him, yeah. right? So, I mean, a lot of this is about how well do you know Jesus? I mean, we, we're in the Scripture every day, my wife and I, and I feel like we have a long way to go. Before we'll have a complete understanding if all we have was the scripture, because look, it's a a lot of words to read and your mind is finite enough that it's it's hard to remember everything you read a year ago. So I think this is about why we have to be in the word of God all the time. Like you're listening to music. If you're listening to country music, let's say, or a rap, whatever it is, you know, all the artists, you know, the playlist because you listen to it all the time. Yeah. You're familiar with it. We have to be so saturated with the Word of God that we actually can spot the variations, spot the distortions the minute we hear them. We can say, oh, that part's right, but right when he says that, that's not true. And what happens is most people who try to distort the truth will give you something we all can agree on, and then they'll twist the last part. Yeah, you
0: know, music lovers who grew up listening to lots and lots of music, I I will sometimes play half of one note or one note of a song, and they'll be able to tell me what it is. Right. Their recall is so fast, and I'm thinking, don't you wish we had the ability to recall
1: Scripture at that speed? Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of st- stuff that people will actually read in Scripture and go, oh, I didn't realize that was a biblical reference <laughs> or a biblical saying. It's in the culture, and they've been saying it all along, but they didn't even know it came from Scripture. So I think that you're right about that. I mean, there's how many TV shows are there on being able to name a song from just a couple of notes? Right. And I, and I, we just don't, we can't, could you imagine if, if I give you three, the first three words in any verse, could you tell me who wrote it? Could you tell me like if it came from one of the letters of Paul or from a gospel? How well do you know your scripture? If I just gave you a few words in a verse, could you get close to putting it where it's supposed to go? Mm-hmm. That would be a great, a great object. It'd be a great game. Yeah. <laughs> we should invent that game.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be great. So yeah. uh, we just have a minute left, Jim. So your summer of ministry, was it great?
1: Yes, we got a chance to work with uh, Samaritan's Purse and Billy Graham Evangelistic Association with uh, police officers, um, just really people who have been involved in horrific situations that have have been uh, either gravely injured because of the situation they were in, or it really created some stress for their marriage. And we get a chance to take those officers up to a, a retreat and talk about God's plan for marriage and how they can restore their marriages um, uh, by just basically learning to trust what Scripture is, uh, teaches. And uh, really, to be honest, I always say this, the gospel cures every kind of stupid, and it also it cures um, marriage stupid. So for a lot of these things, you know, we can talk about these principles like we talked about before, but until you embrace um, a life in which the Spirit of God is, is also at work in your marriage— um, that makes a big difference. And so for a lot of these folks, they they you know maybe me meet mm-hmm. Jesus for the first time, and it changes everything.
0: Awesome. Jim, thanks for the time today. It's been great to be with you once again. Thanks for having me. I you appreciate bet. you, brother. You bet. Jay Warner Wallace has been my guest. Go go learn more about his book, Person of Interest, at personofinterestbook.com. You can go to his website, coldcasechristianity.com. That's our show for the day. Thank you so much for being with me. As you lay your head on that pillow tonight, know that God is working out his great plan in your life. And he loves you, and I do too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.